Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us. I see a lot of new faces on the call. Uh, just to let you know how we do this, it's just 30 minutes. We are going to present on a couple topics. Tonight was what did we learn at camp or what did we see a lot of athletes doing in person that we thought would be really helpful for us to share with you guys. And then as topics come on, feel free to uh, come up, feel free to ask questions. And the way we do that is we just type it in the chat and then we'll address the questions as they come up. So First of all, we just had Pierce Show, who's, um, is that how you say his last name? Uh, Ashton Coaches, and he just finished Ultraman, Ultraman Arizona today. So I think it would be really cool if you guys can drop a DM and just congratulate him. He's 22 years old. He just got into, you know, triathlon and went for the big one. And so I think it'd be great if we can show that support or show a picture of him to get going. Um that's it. So uh, we're going to get started. And I thought I would start with something. We The first day of camp, we had climbed up a big hill outside of Alpine, and we could see everyone's riding style climbing up the hill. And so we're going to talk to those two things first. And the one is a simple one, but a lot of people were doing it wrong, is they were riding with their toes down up the hill. Okay. And so you're just not going to generate a lot of power that way. Uh, I liken it to if you're, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Harold, I always defer to you, but I always liken it to if you're doing a leg press because you're pushing force down into the pedals and you're trying to do a leg press on your toes, that's like the same power you're transferring into the pedals. And so you're climbing up the hill, you're having to push a lot harder. Those heels need to be down. Now, how can you leverage even more power into the heels? Um, you need to sit back. So you scooch back at the back of your saddle, you drive forwards with your knee, your your knees down, your heels down, um, and then it's dependent on whether the speed is really dropped off, whether you get out of error position or not. So there, uh, you get to a point of going slow enough where, and Harold, you can speak to what that number is. I think it's different depending on the day's conditions a little bit as well. But uh, if you're sitting in uh, sitting up, you're not losing any more aerodynamic disadvantage. So you might as well sit up and get as much leverage into the pedals as possible. And it may be a case for you where you sit up for a little bit, get a lot of leverage in on the pedals, get back up to speed. You go back into error for a little bit, again, learning how to push those heels down into the pedals. Now, if you can't do that, that might be a signal to you guys that your seat is too high. If you actually had to film yourself from the side and you literally can't, like your toe is still down like this, your seat is definitely too high. So you definitely need to be able to even that out when you are purposely trying to push those heels down. Um, but yeah, that was the biggest mistake we saw with everyone. As soon as we saw, we fixed it, so many people were so much more powerful up the hill. So think about that the next time you ride. Okay, Coach Harold, you have the next one. Yeah, okay. So that was perfect, Natasha. Uh, I like to see people scoot their hips back in the saddle and get their heels down a little bit more in that pedal stroke as you come through when you're climbing up a hill. Um, the speed at which you are not getting any more aerodynamic gain from being in their position is somewhere between eight and 12 miles per hour for most people. So once your speed gets under 12 miles per hour, if you feel like you wanna sit up to open up your diaphragm a little bit, you'll get a little more leverage into the pedal, a little more power, then that's perfectly fine. You're not losing any aerodynamic profile, just like Natasha said. The other thing that I saw when we were climbing, especially, is people having balance on the bike when they come out of the saddle. Okay. So, this isn't a tool that we really need to pull out that often in trial, but you should be able to pull it out when you need to. Okay. 
when you come up out of the saddle on your bike, just having the balance on your bike, again, you're climbing up a hill. So you want your hips to be shifted back a little bit. You'll get a little better balance, feel like you're maybe a little bit lower on the bike. And the one big thing that I saw was that people were coming over the top of their pedal stroke and their body looked like a pogo stick, like straight up and down coming up and over the bike. Okay. So the saddle was stationary and your hips are just going up and down, or maybe your hips are going a little bit side to side, but the saddle of the bike and the bike position itself was not moving. Okay. We want to flip that. We want the bike to actually go side to side underneath of our hips and our hips to be stationary or pretty much in the same spot. So instead of your hips going side to side, I want to see that saddle go side to side. And this is easy to witness. If you pull up, you know, some good Tour de France footage or uh, any bike races where you're seeing real bike racing going on, you will notice that when they come out of the saddle and those cyclists come out of the saddle often, especially in Grand Tours or big races where they're climbing a lot. And you'll notice that the bike saddle goes side to side underneath their bodies and their bodies are real quiet. It's kind of like the duck analogy where the duck looks real quiet above the water, but the feet are moving pretty strong underneath. The bike should be moving side to side and your hips and torso should be almost quiet, right? The faster you're going out of the saddle, the more that side to side action should be exaggerated. And you'll see that in sprinting. Like when you see the big strong guys, they're sprinting for the line, they get up out of the saddle, they're in that biggest gear, they're spinning very fast and their bike is almost laying over going side to side so dramatically. Okay. When we come out of the saddle, when we're climbing, it shouldn't be that dramatic, but I want to see a little side to side action in that saddle. See, um, you know, if you are doing that on your next bike ride, take a look at it, notice it, and then practice it. You can see video of it on any of the bike races. Um, if you need to look and see what it looks like. Awesome. Coach Ashton, was there anything you saw that you wanted to share? Yeah. So one thing that I'll touch on, and this is something that I'm having to work on too, is fueling during your ride. Um, it's very easy during the winter time, especially whenever you're riding on your trainer, all of your fuel is right there. It's really easy to stay on top of it, but whenever you're outdoors, there's a lot of distractions. It's easier to get behind on fueling whenever you're not riding on your trainer. So, um, you know, whether it be setting up a timer on your bike computer, every five miles, whenever it laps, you're drinking, you're eating, getting into some sort of rhythm whenever you're outside so that you can stay on top of hydration and fueling. Um, that's going to be a big thing that I think we can work on, especially lead, leading into as race season starts. Awesome. Yeah. And another thing is uh, a lot of us are going into Texas and Texas 70.3 and it can be windy. Uh, you have to be used to being able to grab your bottle or get your fuel out of your bento box when it is really windy. And so if you are outdoors on your bike and you have the opportunity to just practice those as scary as it is at first, we need to know how to do that because too many times I've seen people go into Texas 70.3 and maybe they're getting a little bit of a crosswind. They come off the, the bike and they didn't fuel because they were too scared to kind of take their hands off the, the handlebar. So definitely an issue I feel like we are going to run into coming up if you have not practiced it. So you got two weeks, go outside, practice your handling. Um, most of the, For most of you, you're tapering. So you have some extra time on your hands. You should be getting your gear ready, should be filling up your race groups, but then practicing all these little handling things. I think that will give you uh, confidence for race day. So uh, Mackenzie, did you want to add to anything? Sorry, I will add one quick thing was um, speaking about pedal stroke and all that. If you can get a bike fit 
anywhere, anyhow, I highly recommend that even if it's an old bike, new bike, whatever it is. Um, I think just having the right pedal stroke for the seat height, all of that will do wonders for everyone um, in terms of gaining watts, feeling more comfortable. A lot of people were very uncomfortable in aero for that long. If you get a right bike, bike fit, that, that should be removed. That shouldn't be an issue that we see. And again, the right pedal stroke will get you more watts probably than anything else. So if you can, it's a couple hundred dollars, find a, a good bike shop in your area and just get a bike fit if possible. Highly recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We were, we were adjusting seats while we were out there. I mean, I'd, I'd say probably 10 people, we needed to adjust their fit out there. Um, and, uh, and there, you know, when you go to a bike fitter, you're not only looking at the bike, but they should be looking at your shoes as well. I mean, we were adjusting the cleats on the shoes. And so if they're not doing that, then you need to find another bike fitter. Maybe when you're interviewing bike fitters, ask them, do you look at, you know, my mobility and, and every part of, of the bike. And that is you as well. So Alice, did you have anything to add? I had two things. One of them's kind of already been touched on. Everyone's said, but I was just going to say, if you can ride outside, that's going to help you learn how to go up the hills. It's going to help you learn how to stand. Like Harold said, it's going to help you fuel like Ashton was talking about. So just practicing riding outside. It doesn't have to be every ride, but sometimes we get so stuck on our trainers. So get out there. It's going to help you feel more comfortable and more confident on race day. Um, and then my second one is actually totally different. Um, just kind of commenting on the benefits of going to a team camp. And really that's training around other people and other like-minded people and getting motivated and hyped up and just how much you can improve from that. So like all the Austin people, you guys have it awesome. You can go to track you can go to your morning swims but basically if you don't live in Austin try to find other people you can train with because it's gonna help you stay motivated help you have fun and it's just makes it all more fun to do it with other people who are also enjoying themselves absolutely um I see thank you Alice that was perfect uh Parker I see you were putting your hand up for a comment go ahead I want to touch on something that actually Coach Harold brought up during our last spring session. Um, this kind of has to do something along the lines of uh, nutrition and when to take stuff in on the bike. And especially with Galveston coming up, he made a very good point saying Galveston is like, there, there are sections that are very, sorry, the sun's, <laughs> there, there are sections that are very windy, but there are also sections that are kind of blacked off and not straight into a headwind or a crosswind. And so remember that as you're biking and don't, like stand up in your saddle and take on nutrition as you're getting blasted by a headwind. Wait until the wind has died down a little bit or you're, you have some cover from either some of the buildings uh, or trees or something like that, and then take some time to take in your nutrition. So be a little strategic. And yeah, as I said, don't uh, take in nutrition. Don't get out of your saddle, out of arrow when the wind is at full force, a hundred percent full blast, because that's like the worst time to take in anything, get out of the arrow. Um, during that time, try to get as aerodynamic as possible. And then, as I mentioned, when the wind has died down a bit, when you made a slight turn or something, then that is the time to come out of arrow and take in some nutrition, hydration, whatever it may be. Awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. And honestly, guys, this is the reason why you need to Galveston is just straight out and back, right? But if you're not doing a Galveston, you need to go drive the course because there might be sections of the course that are super technical, that it is hard to fuel, but then you might see a very calm, straight section where that's the time you can take on fuel. So outside of having landmarks of like, 
this is, you know, knowing the course, knowing, okay, if I get to this point, I know how close I am to finishing, but when do I fuel and when can I take advantage of those quiet moments? Um, I see Keegan's on the call. Keegan, if you want to add something. Yeah. Mine's just really simple. It's more just in the sense of like, when you go to camp or you have your coach, there's obviously takeaways that we all have. Like one would be like running drills, right? Everyone knows what running drills to do, but a lot of times are, do you do it or don't you? Right. So when you're in a camp like setting, it's really hard to not do it. Cause if you're not there, we know you're not, and we might knock on your door and get you out. So my thing is more just like, you know, what drills to do, you know, those kind of things on easy days, how important stretching and all that is. So if you get an extra time on an easy day, or if you have an easy run, make sure to just take five more minutes to do, do your drills. I know we've said it before on the call where if you have a 30 minute run, but you only, you, that you really need 30 minutes, we'll stop at 20 minutes and do the extra things so that you can make sure to get those done. Um, so just remember to continue to reiterate, um, you know, how important drills are stretching is, um, I know we're really all bad at, you know, rolling out and all that kind of stuff, but just like when it's in a camp setting, it's really easy to do, but whatever you took away from camp or whatever you take away from your coach, make sure to try to implement that into your training, um, as best as you can. Awesome. Thanks, Kian. Appreciate it. Okay, guys, um, the next thing I'm going to chat to, um, and I did this actually with one of my athletes out there. I was riding directly behind him, and I just saw him spinning at about 90 RPM, and that's where he was comfortable. You know, he was going fast, fast enough, he thought, and uh, he didn't have much leg fatigue. He was just kind of cruising along. So I would sit behind him, and I would say, go into a bigger gear. And I would tell him, look at your speed right before you change gears. So he was going 20 miles per hour, switch gears and look at your speed immediately after. Did it go up or did it stay the same? He switched gears and he went up to 21 miles per hour. So it's like, okay, how are your legs? Legs still felt good. Uh, not too much muscular fatigue on that. Okay. Then I said, well, let's switch gears again. Did it again. Sure enough, he went to 22 and a half miles per hour. I said, okay, let's hold this until your legs fatigue. As soon as your legs fatigue, Go back into an easier gear, one or two, spin up the legs, get them fresh again. And then let's do that again. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to maximize speed, not power. And we're not trying to be comfortable. Too many times I see people just spinning away like, this is where I'm comfortable. My legs aren't hurting. But had they just gone one gear bigger, they would have gone two miles per hour faster. And that's especially in the course like Galveston. So the way to check it is look at your speed before, change the gear. Do I go faster? Now, if you do not go faster, if you go faster, yes, confirm it, maybe go into a bigger gear and, and confirm it again. If you do not go faster and now you're just accruing more leg fatigue at the same speed, we'll go back to the gear you were comfortable at, okay? But again, too many times I see people spinning in a way and I'm like, man, you could just go into a bigger gear. And then of course, if you have aerodynamic um, gear, your race wheel, your helmet, you know, you're getting up to speed, the highest speed possible, and then once you've done so, maybe you've accelerated your cadence in order to get up to that speed, you go into a bigger gear and now you're just cruising and you're letting your, your uh, gear take over. And now you're just cruising along at a lower heart rate. Realize when you go into a bigger gear, your heart rate goes down. A higher gear, higher cadence, the heart rate goes up, but it is less fatigue on the legs. And so you're just kind of having this interplay at all times with what is better for me at this point in time, knowing I still got to run after the fact. Okay, but again, to take advantage of your gear, once you're up to a good speed, let that disc wheel take over, cruise at that speed, maybe a lower power, but you're going fast, a lower heart rate. Once you things slow down a little bit, accelerate again, get back up to speed and repeat. Okay, does anyone have any questions on that? Or Coach Harold, do you want to add? Okay, 
I know we have a question in the chat. So let me have a look. Um, Natasha, can I say just one thing too yeah. in regards to that? Um, there was a lot of wind out on the course at camp and there's going to be a lot of wind likely at Galveston. And the one thing about wind is everyone is going to feel it. And so all you have to do during that is stick to your wattage, your plan, your heart rate, because no matter how fast or slow you're going to go during that headwind or tailwind, whatever it is, everyone's going to be facing that. And so Natasha said it last year, we can use that to our advantage as long as you're hitting your goal watts, even if you've got, you know, 20 mile an hour winds your way, everyone will be facing that. So don't get discouraged. Don't get down when you see you're, sh you should be going 22 miles an hour and you're going 14, um, just because of a, a headwind or tailwind or crosswind, whatever it is, as long as you're hitting your goals and your wattage, which you should have planned out prior to a race day, everyone will be in the same boat. So that was a lot of people were getting frustrated out, um, this past weekend, this past week at camp. So just kind of remember that as we race as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, on that note, start to look at your gear right now. We would hate for you guys to be running out of gears out on the course. So like what you would expect in both Ironman Texas and Texas 70.3 is you typically have a really good tailwind going out. And too many times we hear, I ran out of gear and I'm spinning at 90 RPM because you know, that's what I can do with this tailwind. And had you had one or two more gears, you would now, or bigger front um, chain ring, you would be able to go quite a bit faster. Um, so look, you know, if you don't know what it is, take it to the bike shop or ask your coach and say, we're doing a flat course. What is the best setup for that? What would you say, uh, Coach Harold, is you have a strong athlete and obviously an, uh, maybe a weaker athlete needs a couple more gears. What would you see it, say the best gear ratio is? typically for a flat course versus a hilly course? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. So in a course like Galveston, if the wind is strong, you're going to have a huge disparity in speed on the way out versus coming back. So basically you need a wide range of gears because you're going to need the top gear on this side and the low gear on this side and very few gears in between, right? So this makes it difficult for your gearing ratios. But if you have a 52 chain root, chain 52 tooth chain ring on the front 52 and an 11 or 10 tooth chain ring on the back that means that you're going to be going close to 40 miles an hour before you start spinning out at 90 rpm so if you've got a really strong tailwind and you think you can ride up to 40 miles per hour or close but on a very flat road with a strong tailwind and a lot of big strong guys here can probably do that fairly easily then it'll be 90 RPMs and you'll start spinning out at a probably 40 miles per hour, right? You can go bigger than that. You can get a 55 on the front, but you can't go any smaller than that on the back. Now, if you do go 55 on the front, then you'll need to make sure that your smaller chain ring is the right size to be compatible with that, meaning that you're probably going to have to go 39 or 42. And then for everybody else who has 50 or 52, you can go 36 on the smaller chain ring in front which is going to put you in a perfect position coming back into the head ring. If you've got your chain ring and the small ring in the front, the 36, you should be able to ride the middle of the cassette or somewhere close to that on the way back into a headwind. And even if you're going 10 miles an hour, that'll be fine. Okay. So that's your range that you're looking for. Um, if you're on a hilly course, you're going to want to have that similar range because you're going to be climbing and then descending, right? So the speed's going to be low and then the speed's going to be high. If you're on a course that's perfect or pretty close to being flat that doesn't have a lot of headwind or tailwind, 
then you don't need that wide of a range. You'll probably be just fine doing a one by on the front, you know, with a with a with a 1025 on the back or an 1125 on the back, and that would be perfectly fine. So if you're if you're looking at the course and you're thinking, okay, my speed could potentially be very high during this section, and but then also my speed could potentially be very low during this other section, then you just want to make sure that you have a wide range of high and low end gears for those two environments. Make sense? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and the last thing I'm going to speak to um, on that is uh, we mentioned earlier, when do we get out of the saddle? We don't want to be sitting up, uh, obviously, in, in these conditions. We see that all too often. Um, of course, every now and again, maybe you need to stretch out your back, your hip flexors, then great, but get right back into aero position. Some of us do sit up to fuel. That's okay if you're new to the sport, of course. As you get more advanced, you try not to sit up when you fuel. You do everything staying in aero position. Um, you might only sit up to get a bottle when you go through the bottle, the, the water stations. But then again, we see people sitting up there way too long. You're losing a lot of speed. Get right back into aero position. Now, as we go through those stations, a couple things. You see an aid station coming up. You need to slow down a little bit, go into an easier gear. Okay. You should be able to keep in the big chain ring in the front on these black horses, but go into an easier gear in the back because you're going to be slowing down and you don't want to have to muscle out the aid station. So easier gear in the back, you get what the gear you need, be mindful because people drop bottles, et cetera, get in, get out. And then as soon as you get back up to speed, you're trying to get back into the same um, bigger gear, you know, that you typically race at to be at the cadence that you want to race at. Um, I see people just taking way too long. Now, when people get out of the saddle, it's because they're looking to get up to speed very quickly. And so you see people, yes, getting out of the saddle for a second or two when they're trying to get back up to speed up a hill or just make it over a hill. But the other times you actually see people getting out of the saddle is they've maybe gone through an aid station. They've slowed down. They want to get up to speed quickly. They get out of the saddle for one, two, and then immediately after getting back up to speed, they're back in aero position. That goes for the same for any turn you're doing. You see very often if you watch with the pros, you know, you're sitting up as you take a corner 90 degree turn or a U-turn. And then right after that, again, you're going into it in an easier gear. So you can come out of it and not put a lot of muscle strain on your legs. You get out of the saddle, two, three, four, back up to speed, you're down. And immediately you're trying to get back into that bigger chain ring. Okay, so we're getting back up to speed on that note. And this is what I saw at camp last thing is people were climbing these big, long hills and they were having to get into the small train ring in the front. And then what they were not doing is as soon as they got to the top, they're not trying to accelerate and get back up to speed as quickly as possible. They kind of take their time. They'd stay in the small train ring. They'd be almost halfway down the hill and they're still in their small train ring. And you're not getting as much tension on the on the chain every single pedal stroke. So you're not going as far forward every single time you pedal. So you have to look at if you've got into the small chain ring up the hill, how can I quickly get back into the big chain ring in the front down the hill? And so that's quickly getting back up to speed, maybe out the saddle, accelerate your cadence, and then get back in there into the big chain ring coming down the hill into a flat. Okay. I think that's it. So guys, does anyone have any more questions, especially as it pertains to any races coming up? Going through here. Okay. Guys, don't hesitate to reach out to your coaches. Don't make the mistake in not filling out your race script, if, especially if it's your first 70.3. Again, it takes all the guesswork out of training. And one of the first things I tell all of you when I chat to you for the first time is, you know, you've done all the training that you of anything that you might want to do on race day, pacing, nutrition, the distance, 
And then you fill out a race script of all the controllables and the uncontrollables. And if you can do that, it's literally just following a script on race day, you're going to be prepared. You're going to have the race that you train for. Okay. If we don't do that and we don't go in with the game plan, all things can happen. It's a long day. Okay. Cool. Thanks for coming on the call, you guys. Coaches, we're going to stay on the call for a few minutes. Okay. Thank you.